Today we venture into the heart of the Burren with author and tour guide Tony Kirby. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Traveling in Ireland podcast. We're heading to the west of Ireland today, basically with a little nudge from Fromers, who has listed County Clare as one of their best places to go in 2018. Because County Clare has a few places already that are very well known, especially the Cliffs of Moher, I wanted to bring a little bit more knowledge to an area that people have heard of, but I don't think they really understand, and that is the Burren. So today I have Tony Kirby with me, and he leads the Heart of Burren Walks, and he is the author of The Burren and Erin Islands, A Walking Guide. So Tony, thank you so much for popping in with me today. Not at all, Jody. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, the Burren is one of those places. I know that during my first visit to Ireland, uh, you know, over a decade ago now, that it was kind of just a place you passed through as you drove between Galway and the Cliffs of Moher. It's really kind of come into its own in the last few years, but I still don't think it's a place that people really understand. They They kind of follow that you know, those main roads through it, but don't get very far off of those. Yeah, that's that's all true, Jody. It's, um, it, I suppose, in a sense, it's a challenging landscape because it's so unusual and so hard to understand. It's so un-Irish. It's not a typical Irish landscape. Like the, the icon of the West of Ireland in terms of landscapes that people can really identify with is the bog, and this is mm-hmm. this is quite the opposite to the bog. This is... Uh, this is exposed to limestone pavement. It's an exceptionally dry, well-drained area, uh, even in the west west of Ireland, and um, it's it's one of the most uh, distinctive landscapes in Europe. Um, essentially, in a lot of the area, especially the hills, but sometimes at sea level as well, a lot of the soil has been eroded away, and you can see large chunks of the bedrock of the planet. So, it's it's, it's a very atypical Irish landscape, and. It does require a stop, and it does require probably a bit of time in order to understand it. So really, if you're just going through it and using it as a highway to get from Galway to Kerry or vice versa, um, you won't be rewarded that much. But if you do give it a little time, it is really a fascinating place and exceedingly rich in heritage. And the Burren was, you know, very famously called a barren land with, you know, not not a tree to hang a man, nor water enough to drown him. And while it seems very barren, it really isn't, is it? No, actually, the um, the, the nickname of the region uh, is the Fertile Rock, which is kind of um, encapsulates that's the great ecological paradox that is the region. It was the Cistercians, um, a great French order of monks who built what is still today the most uh, spectacular historical building in the Burren. It's called Kirkham Row Abbey. It's in the north of the Burren. And uh, they built that abbey in a, in a secluded valley and they dedicated it to St. Mary of the Fertile Rock. So these Cistercians, who were not only monks but farmers, 
really understood a thousand years ago that though it may appear barren the place, it's actually um, a really fertile place and very interesting from the point of view of agriculture. So, But also, of course, what we've discovered laterally is that it's uh, exceedingly rich in biodiversity as well. So barren is, is anything but, it, it, it's quite the opposite. And um, the barren, the, the name in the English language, the place name, has nothing got to do with the word barren in English. Uh, it's anglicised in the Gaelic on Burren, which means the place of stone, but it's the place of stone which is very productive agriculturally and very rich in biodiversity. It's been very well promoted as a food destination in the last years with that Burren food trail and the food producers that really do highlight how productive the area is. Yeah, it's kind of, a, I suppose, it's part of a wider movement nationally, internationally, of um, kind of a small batch production of local goods. So, for example, we're at the stage now where we have finally, uh, in the, it's quite a rural area, we have a coffee roastery and uh, we'll soon have a whiskey distillery as well. So it all moves in the right direction in terms of kind of a indigenous food. And uh, we have a food trail which has won uh, national awards here and it's Plating great emphasis on what is done excellently here, what is the excellent local products, which of course are the, the lamb, the beef, and because we are coastal, the fish as well. Right. So there's plenty to eat after people explore the burren. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about your walks. Now you do, during the, the summer season, so like June, July, August, you lead walks five days a week that people can just show up for. Exactly. I suppose it's, it's two things I do, really. I I'm a, operate all year round and I'm available by appointment all year round for groups. But in high season, June, June, July, August, five days a week, I've had, had scheduled walks, which means that a designated place, a designated time, five days each week in those three months, I'm there. And who turns up, turns up and we, we head off and walk. So scheduled walks, five days a week, high season and otherwise available by appointment all year round. Now, how long are those daily walks that you do during the summer? Yeah, they'd average about, it's about two and a half hours long. It's at an easy pace and essentially they're educational in scope. So trying to explore the borough and find out why it is of real international importance as a landscape, looking at visiting archaeological ruins, looking at a very idiosyncratic wildflower mix and also, of course, exploring the reasons why geologically it's real international importance. Farming is looked into as well because it, it's impossible to understand the region or how it looks without going into the farming regime prehistorically and even the present. And uh, obviously other areas to cover folklore and uh, wildlife as well. So it's it's very informative, but it's uh, I'd like to think it's very entertaining as well. So what kinds of things are people going to see on these walks? Well, I, I suppose I, I have about seven different trails that I go on in the Burren, but what is guaranteed on all of them is this limestone pavement, this um, exposed bedrock, uh, with the most extensive area of limestone pavement in all of the European Union of 28 countries. So people will be walking on their own limestone pavement and will look into and at all its features, its ancillary features, its fascinating ancillary features as well, and looking into reasons why it's there at all, where, why the soil soil has gone missing, what reasons that the bedrock's exposed so much. We'll be looking at the wildflowers as well and trying to explore this magnificent paradox of a rocky landscape that's of world importance in terms of wild plants. And what's on every walk also is the archaeology because it's an exceedingly rich archaeological landscape. It's a vast memorial to bygone culture, so 
on all walks. There's outstanding highlights in terms of geology, archaeology, and botany. And it's it's really kind of fascinating. I know that most people who travel through the Burren are well aware of the Polnabrone Dolmen, which is the large, beautifully, it's your perfect idea of a dolmen. But the Burren area actually has a very large population of those megalithic tombs. Yeah, like they, like the Polnabrone is is very significant because it's the oldest dated prehistoric tomb in the Burren. So the the oldest bones found in there when it was ex- they were excavated and dated were dated to 5,800 years ago. So it is, in fact, the oldest dated prehistoric tomb in all of Ireland, and it is arguably the icon of prehistoric Ireland. So it's real, real national significance as a tomb. But it is just the icon. There's much more than that. There's 2,000, approximately 2,000 recorded protected archaeological monuments in the Burren. It's nearly 200 square miles, and when you refer to the megalithic tombs, there's a, at least 100 of them in the region, so it's an exceedingly rich cultural landscape. That, that's an incredible number to even to even wrap your head around in such a relatively small area. Yeah, I suppose the, the reason why it's archaeologically so rich is probably it, it, it's related to the stone. You know, there's a ready availability of stone. It's very durable as a material, and a lot of the archaeologists concentrate in the stony hills where the dust have escaped the depredations of kind of industrialized farming and machinery and that. So these would be reasons why it's so rich archaeologically. Wow. Now, beyond the book that you've written and your website, you're also involved in another kind of online enterprise with a very well-known photographer. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? I blog on the Burren. I'd like to call myself a Burren blogger, and I do so in partnership with an outstanding landscape photographer. His name is Karsten Krieger, K-R-I-E-G-E-R. He lives in the southwest of County Clare. He's German, and he has approximately eight books published of landscape photography on the Burren and the wider west of Ireland, the Atlantic coastline of Ireland, and came together there a couple of years ago and decided to start a blog page on the Burren. Its, it's, it's address is burrentales.com. It's Carson's photography and my text, largely, and we average about one blog per month on the Burren. And it's kind of um, it's 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 great to be involved in it. Uh, the last blog, in fact, was December 2017, and it was regarding um, the only other portal tomb in the Burren besides Ponnebrone, because there is one more, and that has actually collapsed and had been overwhelmed by scrub, and a team of volunteers removed the scrub towards the end of last year, and now it's uh, exposed in its glorious magnificence again. That particular tomb, and that's about 2,000 words of an essay on the other power of role, if you like, in the bar, and if I would like to read it, you know. It sounds like a fascinating resource, and of course the photography is just spectacular. So it's, yeah. it's a really, yeah. I think it's a really great insight into what you can expect in the Burren. Yeah, the Carson is a magnificent photographer. The Burren, honestly, is an extremely photogenic place uh, with that kind of a rock backdrop and uh, the different shades it assumes in different, when there's different weather patterns. So, um, yeah, Carson would be, I'd say, the foremost kind of recorder of the fabulous light in the barn. There's a very particular light here mm-hmm. uh, because it is the rock. Uh, a lot of the earth sunlight is affected off it. So there's a, there's a real whiteness about the place on occasions. And Carson's very good at capturing the whiteness and the grayness, of course, as well when it rains, you know. Right, and the Burren is one of those places because of, I think, partially because it butts up against the ocean and partially due to the rock, but it 
has, I mean, it's almost like the burn has a temperament about it. And that yeah. on any given day, you're going to get a completely different feel and experience from the day before. Yeah, well, I, what I notice here sometimes after rainfall, these kind of, it's, the rock is gray in color and um, there's a lot of it. And the hills are kind of like uh, giant staircases, they're terrace and flip topography. But after rainfall, for whatever reason, for whatever chromatic reason, that the rock seems to assume a purple hue. And that's just one of its moods. But of course, another mood of the burn is in, in May every year, the, the drab grey uplands in winter are transformed to mosaic wild plants from different corners of the world. And it, it's truly one of Europe's great annual natural history events, an extraordinary flourishing of wildflowers. And it, it's of world consequence in terms of wild plants, all because that the bizarre, unique mix we have here, it just, you cannot find it anywhere else. And it, it is, it's it's kind of this rebirth, I suppose, that you get out there. And it's surprising if the only pictures you've seen of the burn have been the rock and the gray and the seemingly emptiness of it. Yeah, and and also it's, it's worth pointing out that described as a natural history event, the, the flowers breaking forth from patches of soil on the rock every May to June is the highlight of the flower season. And people who come from all over the world see these this mix of Arctic, Alpine, Mediterranean, but one could argue that there's a deeply humanised aspect to this kind of a natural history story because science has told us in the last couple of decades that the particular farming regime we have in Burn, whereby the cows are sent to the hills in winter, it's a pretty unusual transhumanist tradition, mm-hmm. but they, by spending the, um, the the winter on the limestone pavement hills from November to April, and by coming off the hills to the valleys in spring, have fulfilled a critical ecological role in ensuring that the plants come out in May, June. So it's, it's a wonderful breakthrough in our understanding of our story here, that now we realize that the, the cows are actually the custodians of our heritage. That's really fascinating, because it's kind of backwards from the way you would expect it. You wouldn't expect to have the cows out in the winter. You would expect them to... No, the transhumans usually be associated with cattle going to the hills mm-hmm. in summer, but here it's, I think it's one of the few regions in the world where cattle are trying, livestock are transferred to altitude in winter. I've heard it's the only region in the cool, temperate world or livestock are transferred to altitude in winter, which is the cold temperate water would take up a lot of the northern hemisphere. So it's very, very unusual practice uh, globally. But the reason why the cattle are put onto the hills here in winter is because it's stony and because the soil, the particular soil type, is resistant to not being resistant to destruction by the cattle. You know, right, so right. Ireland is wet in winter, and if you leave your cattle outdoors in general they're going to rip up your living to pasture. So that's why they they retreat to the lots. But in the mm-hmm. burren with this age-old tradition of them actually going to the hills in winter because the farmer's secure in the knowledge that the cattle will not rip up his pasture. Right. That's, I mean, that's just fascinating, the understanding that our ancestors had of the land, that deep understanding of it. And I think as you learn more of it, you really come to respect what came before. Absolutely. Like It's essentially a low-intensity farming model in the hills in winter. It's it's only November to April. There's no agrochemicals used. But because cattle are there in winter, they naturally fertilize mm-hmm. the place with their droppings. They eat competitive grasses and they, they stop the scrub from advancing, which right. would overwhelm mm-hmm. the Arctic Alpine Mediterranean plants. So it, it's, it's a low-intensity farming regime. And in a sense, it's a continuum in these hills here of a 6,000-year-old story of small-scale pastoralism. So it is, it is a very positive continuum. Wow, that's, that's, I'm just fascinated by that. Now, 
when you're leading tours in the Burren, people don't have a, probably a really good understanding of the area. What kinds of things are people surprised by as you're leading them through the Burren? What kind of really jumps out at them as, I had no idea? Of this. I think the biggest thing is that it's so outstanding in terms of heritage that it's of real international significance in terms of its heritage. Um, you know, people go, a lot of people go from thinking it's a pile of rock to this idea of that it's of real significance internationally for botany, archaeology, geology. The farming story fascinates people mm -hmm. as well. The rich and varied mammal life in the hills. And the idea that our biggest challenge in the Burren is ironically in the hills of the Burren is that there's not enough human pressure there so it's looking the the global narrative which says I think now quite rightly that the pressure by mankind and natural world now is unsustainable at a global level but in the Burren hills um, we'd actually like some more cattle up there to slow down the scrub which is kind of um, impacting upon the, the pavement the archaeology and the particular wildflower mix so the whole I think the, the rock itself, it being sold, and the natural thing is one thing, and so much of it exposed is another, of course, which you don't get in many places. But I think this human story is of real, real interest to people that we're actually looking for a bit more pressure by mankind on the hills because we think that by the cattle going to the hills in winter, a true balance between man and nature has been eked out. It's fascinating. It's such an amazing area. Now, I know that on your five days a week walks that you do June, July, and August, that people can just show up and they can find the information for that on the Heart of Burren Walks website. If people that's, are that's wanting, right. if people yeah. are wanting to schedule something like a group walk with you or off season, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, my, my motto is I may, I may not be any good, but I always turn up. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I'm available all year round by appointment for groups. So no group too big or too small. And uh, so if anyone wants to get in touch, we can liaise by email and uh, see can we come to some agreement. But to be honest with you, 70% of my work is grouped by appointment, but 30% would be the scheduled walks this summer. Most of my business is groups by appointment. Excellent. And I will make sure that that information, uh, your website, the the website Burren Tales and your email address are all going to be listed in the show notes so people will be very easily able to contact you. Now, Thanks for that. <laughs> um, as we wrap this up, I want to kind of shift a little bit and see what other places you might think that are worthy of a visit in Ireland. So what three places would you recommend that people do put on their itinerary when they're planning their trip? Driving is the very best way to experience everything Ireland has to offer. And that's why I'm excited to partner with Irish Car Rentals to provide unbeatable quotes for your Ireland vacation. When you're ready to book your car rental, visit irishcarrentals.com and use promotion code IFV for Ireland Family Vacations in the promotions box. Thanks so much for listening. Now here come those recommended places to visit. Okay, that's not an easy one now, oh, no. but I suppose I, I've got a bias, I've got a heavy bias towards the Atlantic coastline here, the west of Ireland. Um, we've got a, 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 this new touring route, it's the longest coastal touring route in the world, it's called the Wide Atlantic Way. It's, it's 2,400 kilometres in length, so um, 
you know, people like me at a certain age in Ireland, it's a mathematical certainty. I'm not going to get around to, <laughs> to a fraction of it. So, um, but, you know, there, there are parts of it that are well-traveled and uh, where you have high flux of people and I'm more interested in areas where that are less traveled and are really, really unspoiled and almost uh, secrets in Ireland's Atlantic landscape. So if we were to name three, I'd probably go for number one, the uh, Skellig Ring. It, it's it, There's a touring route on the Ivora Peninsula in, in, in Kerry called the Ring of Kerry. It's a famous touring route, but it's quite trafficked in summer and you've got a lot of coaches on it as well. But there's a little touring route off the Ring of Kerry called the Skellig Ring. It's about 18 kilometres long, but it has got a lot of dramatic coastline on it and it is kind of a easy to negotiate because it's less known and the big buses can't access it. So the Skellig Ring in under it, uh, and it has affords fabulous views of Skellig Michael, of course, the, one of the most famous early Christian hermitages in the world. And that certainly would be one I would I would recommend, the Skellig Ring and all that area, the Palencia Island, St. Finian's Bay, all along the Skellig Ring there. Mm-hmm. And Ballin Skelligs itself, which has, it would seem, is the place where the uh, these monks decamped from Skellig Michael when they had, for various reasons, enough of the rock. They came to the mainland and established a presence there. So for the majority of people can never make Skellig Michael for various reasons. So if you can't do so, check out Ballin Skelligs, the St. Michael's Holy Well, and Ballin Skellig Abbey, where the monks came to after... Uh, abandonment of Skellig Michael and you'll get the, the next best thing in the world to the, the rock itself. That's that's one. Two would be probably uh, Sheep's Head. Now, there's five peninsulas. I love Sheep's Head. The most traffic are the Dingle Peninsula and the Ring of Curry, which, you know, I like a lot and visit, but probably the Sheep's Head is the second smallest, the second most southerly, and it's one of the smaller ones, but it's still a uh, fair size and would take up a couple of days at the very least if you want to get the hang of it. Sheep's Head is a short tourist season, about 10 weeks of the year. And again, it's got this fabulous juxtaposition, juxtaposition of mountains and oceans, mm-hmm. quite way of life, a couple of beautiful villages, and uh, the Sheep's Head would be number two. So that's Skellig Ring 1, Sheep's Head number two. And number three then, because I can't mention the Burringer, I can't. <laughs> sure you can. Or any place else, yeah. Sinclair, sure. Okay, and... Uh, <laughs> The, the rocky, majestic burden of North Clare as well. And just a final word there on it, just to get back to your question about what fascinates people about the place, Jody. The story itself of why so much of the bedrock of the planet is here and why it's one of, it's a rare global landform and why it's one of the most distinct landscapes in Europe. It not only looks really unusual, but the story of why so much of rock has been exposed to the atmosphere is very unusual itself because one reason is natural and that is glaciation, glaciers stripping away soil and disappearing it into the cracks in the rock. But the second reason why so much of the soil was subsequently eroded is because of a phenomenon called, wait for it, prehistoric agri-vandalism. Really? In other words, the, the pioneer farmers here in the Berlin, they elected to farm in the hills for good reasons and they exuberantly farmed on the hills of the Burren for thousands of years and 3,000 years after they started farming here with climate change um, 3,000 years ago and the cumulative impact of the over-enthusiastic farming along with the climate change meant that a lot more of the um, the soil went missing, mm-hmm. got eroded. So the story itself of how the landscape looks is 
deeply humanised as well. It is not a natural phenomenon. It's part natural. It's part due to human agencies. Um, as a great British mapmaker writer Tim Robbins said, uh, the burden's austere beauty is due to millennia of abuse. Very interesting. It's beautiful, but it's a beautiful artifice. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. I love that the, the places that you mentioned, the Skelligring, Sheep's Head, and then the Burren, when you get off of those roads. Now, obviously, the Sheep's Head, I mean, there, there's a point on it where it says, no buses, nothing big past this point. And the Skellig Ring as yeah, well. The, I mean, the, 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 big, the big buses can't really mm-hmm. access either Sheep's Head or the Skellig Ring. You know, in terms of the Burren itself, uh, I have a particular liking for the east of the Burren. The west of the Burren can be a bit traffic in high mm-hmm. season because you've got the coast and just blow the cliffs some more. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful itself because it's on Gora Bay. But the further you east you go in this small region, the more kind of fascinating it becomes and the more secrets you discover in the right, landscape. Right, and I mean, there are some roads over there you're not getting a bus down. So I, I love places no, that, no. that you're going to feel like you might be, like you've discovered this hidden piece of Ireland, and those are all really That's great it. places to, yeah. Yeah, to feel well. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Tony, I want to thank you so much. The information welcome, that you've Tony. shared has just been fascinating, and I hope it gives people a reason to maybe not hurry so much through that that Burren area and really take the time to explore there in County Clare. Yeah, go slow, you see a lot, and you actually end up getting very far. Excellent. Thank you so much. Gareth Mahogut, which means thank you.